0: Hello and welcome. Anyone who's been to Merchant City Yoga on a Sunday knows how much I love catching up with everyone over a cup of my freshly brewed spiced chai. These Sunday chai sessions really bring everyone together. A true celebration of friendship, community and connection. I want to try and capture some of that magic and share it with you at home. So I've invited some familiar faces from our MCY family to chat with me over a cuppa. I'm affectionately calling them the chai sessions. Pop the kettle on, get yourself comfy, and come and join us, James. Thank you so much for joining me. Have Hello, a chai great to be here. Yeah. yeah third time we're getting the opportunity to sit down and have a good old chat about yoga and yoga philosophy so it's possible that for some people you might need no introduction but for anyone who hasn't met you yet very briefly um, James has been teaching for over teaching yoga rather for over 20 years and I first met James back in 2011 in my store in South India, where not only was he sharing the teachings of yoga, he was also studying for a MA in Sanskrit, which every time I say that out loud, James, the fact that you achieved an MA in Sanskrit blows my mind a little bit, because I know how much I struggle with just the few words that um I have. So um, because of all of that, James's practice and teaching, Um, brings with a very holistic approach and he works in a very direct relationship with the original Sanskrit texts. Now, having met and studied with James in Mysore, he's since then been a very regular um, visitor here at Merchant City Yoga and also teaches on our 200-hour yoga teacher training program. James, I think that just about sums up Mr I mean clearly you've achieved so much we could sit for the whole chai session and just talk about you but let's not yes let's talk great...
1: about something
0: else <laughs> um, ahead of your visit this spring um where you're going to be talking about the eight limbs of yoga and working with Patanjali's teachings of the eight limbs of yoga i thought it would be helpful just to have a bit of a chat about why The eight limbs are so important, and why they're important to us, even as modern yoga practitioners.
1: Yeah, sure. So it's it's interesting why the why the eight limbs important. So the eight limbs are one of the famous sections of this text called the Yoga Sutra, which is a very special text in the yoga tradition because it's the distillation of the foundation principles of yoga and Patanjali's text is remarkable in so many ways but it encodes the foundation teachings of yoga in such a way that they're very robust we can work with them in lots of different ways but everything that's there has been very thoroughly tested and we can test it for ourselves by exploring the teachings now it's a sutra text and a sutra means stitch and it also means the thread with which the stitches. A stitch with which the text is woven. So, in a sutra text, sometimes people talk about the Yoga Sutras the aphorisms or aphorisms of yoga. Yes, which is paired it's not like wrong, but in a, an aphorism aphorism could be a standalone pithy statement of practical wisdom. The sutras are that, but there's also this thing. There is thread, so the whole text is one body of teaching, and as the text unfolds the deeper understanding of the unfolding teachings is grounded in the earlier foundational teachings now the eight limbs are very special because one section of them is highlighted by Patanjali as being an essential practice and kind of all times all places practice And there's only one other place in the text where the linguistic presentation also makes clear this is an essential practice. And that's in chapter one, where Patanjali introduces these four ways to behave in four types of situations, Sutra 33. So in this, in the opening chapter, Patanjali basically tells us what yoga is, what yoga practice is, how yoga works. And how to do it, how to, how to cultivate yoga. <laughs> and the basic recipe, potentially offers us, it's very, very beautiful. This is the 33rd Sutra, and I could talk about this at great length, but just to be brief for this purpose here. It says, when things are agreeable, when there is sukham, a good space, agreeable vibrations, a pleasant situation, potentially says, Maitri, friendliness. When there is difficult space difficult situation not so harmonious vibrations then karuna compassion be compassionate when there is punya when people are doing wonderful things when there is virtue when there is meritorious or beautiful things happening mudita let it lift you up let it fill you with inspiration and when there is apunya when you see terror horror injustice things like that rather than let it disturb you upeksha be steady, be equanimous, so you can meet it from the most skillful seat and respond as skillfully as possible. And Patanjali introduces that sutra, and then in the next sutras, 34 to 39, he gives us so many options to cultivate the state, the state of being centered, balanced, yoga. And each of those sutras contains the particle VAR, which means and or as well, in addition, optionally. But sutra thirty three Nova. So that's the kind of that's the essential practice. It's not you can choose it. No, no, you have to do that. <laughs> Let's cultivate those four ways of being. Which I would love to live in a neighborhood where people all practice that. How would society be like if everybody? Well, when things are agreeable, Yeah. Friendly. We're welcoming. We're open. We're receptive. When things are difficult, we're compassionate. When there's beautiful things, we celebrate it. When there's terrible things. We don't go careening off into fear or anger we don't let ourselves be intimidated or despondent rather we stay steady and we stay open to insights to help us move forwards through the challenging situation skillfully now this is a prescription for an essential all times all places practice but it's also a description of an established yogin so if automatically spontaneously easily these four ways of being overflow from us in those four types of situations we're established in yoga and we don't need to do any other technique but if we're not then potentially offers us all these other techniques that we can use and then that's in chapter one and at the end of chapter one potentially lays out how the different mechanisms of meditative practice actually work to facilitate this harmonization of the awareness then in chapter two Patanjali elaborates further how we can actively cultivate that steadiness that clarity of insight and awareness so we can then more easefully readily spontaneously act in ways that are conducive to harmony and clear-sightedness and then one of the methods he gives is the ashtanga this is that when he, he elaborates the method in the ashtanga okay. section and these eight Ungas, these are eight members of a body of practice so sometimes people have spoken about the eight limbs as eight stages or eight steps that's not completely wrong there are situations context in which one can see them as stages but only some situations more broadly these are eight limbs or members of one body or collective of practice so when we were born judy and we came out of the womb we had our little limbs And it wasn't that our right arm grew first and then sometime later, once the right arm had developed to adulthood, then, okay, now it's time for the second stage, the left arm to get going. And then the left leg and the right arm, whatever it might be. No, no, no. They all grow together. And so it is with the eight limbs. Now, one way we can understand the eight limbs, the eight members of the group, the eight members of the body of practice is that they all support and are present in any yoga technique there can emerge a little bit of confusion about this because the first of the two limbs yama niyama they refer specifically to how we behave in the world in relation to ourselves and others in relation to our energy and the energy of life asana the third limb is also associated with the practices of hatha yoga that work with the pulsations the heart and the ta, the expansion the contraction the up and down the firming and the relaxing of these different parts of our body so asana practice doing yoga postures and all the rest of it this can be a mechanism a technique to cultivate yoga but to also cultivate all eight limbs because asana in the context of the eight limbs does not just mean posture practice not at all asana means literally seat and it's the seat of our awareness and it's also the seat of our physical our awareness in a physical body so yoga being pragmatic recognizes when the physical body is steady and easeful it's going to be so much easier to cultivate the state of clarity in which we can experience our true self. Similarly, yama yama, when we behave in ways that are coherent, that are ethically congruent, that are in rhythm with ourself and with our environment, with the pulsations of life itself, it's gonna be much easier to see clearly to experience balance and harmony, if we've been behaving in ways that are disrespectful to our bodies, to our own intelligences, to the life that supports us, to our the ground in which we live in, when we sit to meditate or we try to do a practice that is inviting balance and harmony, there's going to be so much commotion in our psychic reality. Is this true? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, yama ni yama, and asana they are all part of any meditation practice how am I sitting how am I sitting in my being and then we have pranayama again there can be a confusion because pranayama is sometimes used to refer to a whole body of practice that is seeking to extend the life force in hatha yoga all these practices of the breath and in the Indic tradition There are many sound practices. I love these practices of kirtan, yoga singing, and Sanskrit recitation. Now, when we recite Sanskrit hymns, or we sing kirtan songs, pranayama can happen without torturing the nostrils, without forcing the breath. The breath will naturally extend. The exhalation will extend when we're singing long phrases. Pranayama... Yes, there's all these beautiful lexicon of breathing prats we can use to facilitate balance and harmony in so many different ways. But pranayama more basically also can refer to any practice, any technique, any attitude which is facilitating more harmony, more efficiency in the movement of energy in and through our bodily vehicle. Anything that's helping us breathe more skillfully, more easefully, can be called pranayama. So, eating appropriately, resting appropriately, moving appropriately, these can all be types of pranayama practice. It doesn't just mean observing the breath. Of course, that's also what pranayama means. But in the context of the Yoga Sutra, Sutra texts, one of the ways they're classically defined is they are vishwatu mukham. Mukha means facing, or because mukha means mouth or face. Vishwataha means all around. So, a Sutra text faces out all around it's not that it's confined to one meaning its meaning can shine out in lots of different directions so yes we can consider asana yoga posture practice pranayama breathing practices yes 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 that's not incorrect but it's not the total picture so yamaniyama asana pranayama how am i using my energy as a human being how am i sitting in my own skin Am I in a state that is steadily easeful? If not, what can I do to make it more steady and more easeful? How is my energy, my prana circulating? Is energy and information circulating and flowing easefully, nourishingly through my organism? If not, what could I do about it? And of course, the lexicon of pranayama and asana gives us lots and lots of practical resources to facilitate greater harmony. And many types of hatha yoga practice, such as posture based practices, like the ones that you teach, Judy, what do they do? They invite us to observe the flow of energy. They invite us to focus the lenses and powers of our senses and bring them all together. So they invite this yogic integration. And this relates to the fifth limb, pratyahara. And pratyahara is all about the powers of our senses. Now, yoga recognizes. The senses are powerful, instrumental things that we carry with us. And most of us, I think, we can relate to that. We can experience one of our senses pulling us in one direction, another one's pulling us in another direction. Sometimes we can feel pulled in lots yep. of different directions. And that's... So many distractions. Yoga. Yeah, yep. that's so many yoga, distractions. other than yoga, different from yoga. Yoga is when all those powers come together as one. So pratyahara means training the sense powers by harnessing our sense experience and turning it back to the source, the underlying consciousness that's allowing us to experience something at all. So sometimes people talk about Pratihara's withdrawal of the senses, like I'm going to cover my eyes and nose and no, no, no. In certain contexts, one could make that a practice, but more broadly it's about training and refining the sense powers so they can actually be deployed to serve their higher purpose of helping us relish our essential self. And then the final three limbs relate more overtly, explicitly, directly to the basic practice of yoga, which is meditation. And so we have Dharana, Dhyana, and Samadhi. Now, Samadhi is more or less synonymous with yoga. It means a state of awareness that is balanced and established in that balanced state. And we can experience our true self. Dharana is concentrating the awareness so i'm focusing on an object dhyana is the meditative flow of awareness that emerges from sustained concentration and when that meditative flow of awareness is sustained then samadhi or yoga emerges so the eighth of the limbs samadhi can emerge from the cultivation of the rest and when we experience samadhi then that can imprint and infuse the way we cultivate all the other limbs so however we're practicing yoga if we're in the business of inviting more balance more harmony more skillfulness more efficiency in our lives this frame or structure of the eight limbs is super practical and it gives us like a kind of compass to orient in life and it's a compass that has been tested for millennia Because it was already very tested before Patanjali codified it in the Yoga Sutra. Patanjali's teachings are not, uh, they weren't like a new thing when he set them down. They were the fruit of many, many generations of practice and exploration. So these things have been around for thousands of years and they work. So sometimes these days in the corporate setting, for example, there are some people who've developed like these very helpful models of like four quadrants. of Like, I want to stay in this side, I want to be in this quadrant so when this starts happening, what can i do to mitigate it so the yoga sutra and the ashtanga also we might say the archetypal setting of the bhagavad-gita also gives us they give us structures that we can refer to and work with kind of like a compass in our life so one time when i first started studying all of this 20 plus years ago it was in 2000 i remember this was actually in 2003 what i'm going to relay I was in a satsang class in Bangkok, and one of the group asked our teacher, you know, why does the human bodily vehicle not come with an instruction manual? You know, if, if God really loved humanity, if, if creation wanted humans to thrive, why didn't they not give us a, an operating manual? And my teacher says, well, there is one. It's called the Yoga Shastra. And the most beautiful example is, the, one of the most beautiful examples is the Yoga Sutra. It's a practice manual. There are things in the sutras that can seem a little bit far out. But he says, no, no, no. This is not the fairy tale of enlightenment. This is the practice manual of enlightenment. It doesn't ask you to believe anything. It gives you a structure to explore. You can put everything in there to the test. And the Ashtanga, the eight limbs, they give us this beautiful compass. So yama niyama. There are five yama principles and five niyama principles. So, we can make f- like have these five reference points or 10 reference points. If we're in a dilemma in life, we can maybe ask, What does that yama tell us to do? What does that yama tell us to do? How can we, and when we refer to them all and we come to a place where they can all cohere, that's a means to actually tune in more to our deep intuitive wisdom that can guide us to that deep harmony that is our deeper longing. So, that's a lot of talking, Judy, but. Yes. Does that sound
0: practical? And, and I'm just saying yes and right all the time. That's been really, really helpful and, as always, beautifully and simply laid out. and What I want to ask now is, how then do we take that theory, that thinking, because it all makes complete sense when you are sitting talking about it. How then can we start to take some of it out into our messy yoga practices, our messy modern postural yoga practices and begin to explore even taking it beyond that out into to life and and, and how we navigate life. Because as you, you've said some of it does sound fairly unachievable or idealistic and possibly even knocking on some magical thinking um as <laughs> well so for us mere mortals
1: well i i wouldn't i wouldn't say it's those things but i i know that some people get that impression when they encounter yoga teachings and yoga texts
0: yeah and so, i know it, a lot of it comes down to who you speak to what translation and yeah. um so i think what, what you pick so, up but yeah. yeah I
1: think it's a, it's a great question julian thank you for asking it like that and i think the thing the first thing i'd like to, to suggest is that in the traditional way of studying <laughs> one practices so in the indic vision of life knowing knowledge is always experiential that the real knowing has to have this experiential component so we study the yoga sutra by practicing them And we practice yoga by studying it. It's not that, oh, like, you know, there is this false dichotomy, I think, in a lot of our, I don't want to be speaking such broad brushstrokes, but in Western thinking, there's a lot of this black-white thinking. And, like, there's theory and there's practice. In the Indic vision, no, these things go together. And traditionally, when one is studying the Yoga Sutra, one is also practicing them. One is investigating them. With a body of practice, a technique of practice, this could be meditation, this could be asana. So the thing that I would recommend in the weekend, we will be, this is what we'll be exploring, is how, how can we work with this structure? How can we bring it to life? Because it, when we do, it can bring so much support to our own lives. Wherever we live, whatever type, stage of life we're at, these structures can just very helpful. So one way we can begin is, it, say, for example, somebody has a technique that they work with regularly. Let's say you do a posture practice. Well, how to make the physical practice yoga. I mentioned at the beginning, the eight limbs, they're all members of the body of practice. So the way I understand it, if anything going to be a yoga practice, it has to address the whole human being. Right. The physical reality, the energetic reality, the sensory, sensual reality, the emotional reality, the intellectual, mental reality. All these parts of ourselves. Yoga means balance. It means joining, unifying. So the only genuine union is one that includes all our parts. So the person who says, oh, I'm, I just do the physical practice, then it's not yoga. Similarly, the person could be bodybuilding and it could be yoga because they could be doing it in this very mindful, bodyful, senseful way. They could be doing it as a means to learn about themselves. Or the person could be practicing some art or some craft or just the approach, the ethos that they bring to the way they parent or the way they run their business or operate in their day-to-day job could also be yoga practice. If we're doing it in a way that is helping us understand more how we can bring greater congruence, greater cohesion to this field of our human experience. So if we have a yoga technique like asana, we can think about how can I make it so it's cultivating the yamas and the niyamas. And why I would want to do that. You say, well, why would I want to do that? Because it will make our life much sweeter. The first of the (laughs) yamas, much richer, we will be able to taste the flavors of life more fully and find greatest fulfillment and satisfaction. So don't just take my word for it. Come to the weekend and explore and find out for yourself. (laughs) But for example, the first of the yamas is ahinsa now hims is the the verb to harm so sometimes we can come across translations of ahinsa such as things like non-violence non-harming these are again they're accurate but they're not a total representation of the sanskrit term because the sanskrit term ahinsa is this this feature of sanskrit so "himsa means harming when we add that prefix uh it means different from other than less than not quite the same as It can also mean not so non-harming is part of ahinsa but it's not the whole story of ahinsa and potentially tells these yamas are things we practice all the time so they're not don'ts they're not prohibitions the yamas are active injunctions for things for us to cultivate so ahinsa really means practicing that which is not harming in other words cultivating harmony practicing loving kindness practicing a presence that is respectful so Ahinsa, if we do our practice in keeping with the spirit of Ahinsa, we're going to cultivate harmony and joy and ease in ourselves. And who doesn't want that? <laughs> Second, Satya. Now, Satya is related from the verb us, the verb to be. So Satya is all about presence, authenticity, truthfulness. What we experience as human beings, the truer that we live, the easier we live. The more congruence we have, the more coherence we have, the more easily the system functions. So if I think, okay, I'm going to make my asana practice a cultivation of ahimsa and satya, just to begin with, but we'll look at all the five yamas and all the five niyamas in the context of the weekend exploration. This is can start to have a very significant impact on our day to day life because we can start noticing, ah, where am I perhaps harbouring tendencies? that are getting in the way of the deeper harmony that I would actually like to invite into my life? Where am I perhaps being not quite as authentic or honest with myself as I could be? And how could I perhaps shift that? Not by forcing myself to adhere to some or conform to some external viewpoint, but how can I actually work with this amazing chariot of my bodily vehicle, which has, energy which has sense powers which has emotions which has mental intellectual capacities this vehicle how can i work with it in my own authentic way a way that feels good in my own skin in my own context in a way that is actually cultivating harmony so yamani yama asana prana, dharni, dhyana, samadhi. the eight limbs they are a structure that help us do that and i don't know about you but i, I would like more harmony and authenticity and presence in my life And so the eight limbs give us a really robust container to do that. Once we start exploring them in the context of yoga techniques and yoga exercises, if we say, if we have a regular practice, we do certain things every day or we do them regularly, then what we practice, we get good at once we start to apply them in one realm of life, we can start to access them more readily in other parts of life. Did that answer the question a little bit, Fury?
0: Yeah. yeah. And I mean again, obviously we could talk about this for yes. hours because I, I do feel when when we start to kind of um unpack a little bit like you're doing the you know, the 360 degree view, the wider view, the even just the simple um fact that there's rarely a very direct translation from Sanskrit into English. It can mean a number of different things, each with a slightly different nuance or, or connotation. In that, it's it's incredibly liberating, but at the same time, it can be incredibly confusing as well, especially, um, you know, without context, without experience and without, I would probably suggest, the guidance of a trusted Teacher as well, and I think when we we look at the eight limbs, sometimes it can feel a little bit like we are being asked, like you said, to conform or to fit into those boxes and to follow those rules, rather than, as you talk about it, using them as a means to to live more fully, yeah. like you know, to, so. I'm gonna wind back to talk about your weekend. So the weekend that you're here, you talk about it being an active and um, pragmatic and accessible environment mm. to begin to look at these thoughts and these teachings and these approaches. And and I just wondered if you could maybe talk a little bit to what that looks like and how it works if, if people aren't familiar. In working with that we yeah because I know yoga philosophy can sometimes just be seen as a bit of a dusty dry lecture <laughs> and that's not the case so just what what does it look like
1: yeah so i think one thing i'd like to suggest is these are not rules these are very robust principles and i think you know yoga the way that i understand the yoga shastra the yoga teachings are designed as a kind of structure that if we work with it it can bring us to deeper authority deeper sovereignty deeper self-trust but we have to work skillfully with the teaching so like you're suggesting judy if we just pick and choose and if we approach the sutra died in our own existing cultural personal viewpoint then we could easily Use the sutra teachings to potentially justify the perpetuation of self-sabotaging habits. So, but once we start to gain a experience of working with them practically, and we see how, how useful they are as like a mirror. So I always think of like the Yoga Sutra, the Bhagavad Gita as mirror texts. When we look mm. into them, they can show us where we are and where we may be getting in our our own way. They are tools for inquiry. So in the context of the weekend what we'll do is we'll explore these principles in practical application and this will start we'll do physical practices we'll do some yoga asana and movement practices that will be um, very illustrative of the principles they'll help us understand those principles in relation to how we work with our bodily vehicle and from there we'll also consider how so we'll we'll do exercises that work with movement and bodily posture We'll also do things that work with the breath and sound and like so how we can work with that with pranayama. We'll work with the senses, but we'll also do exercises where we'll kind of let's say we take one of the Yama principles, or we'll take all of them, and we will look at situations where we can recognize how these principles can inform how we make decisions or how we move in a certain situation. So we'll do simple games of communication. We're, we're doing things by ourselves, working with others. And this will give us practical experience of how these principles can inform activity, can inform ongoing inquiry, can inform playing in the dance of life, you might say. So, um I don't, is that clear enough does that give us a sense of but basically it's not that we're going to sit around and i'll talk and we'll listen well i'll talk i'll talk sometimes of course but we'll I be was, doing i was lot going to act, see it at, we're going to I do a lot of Jace, james learning. that you will be talking <laughs> yeah and you know i think there are you know that so there are some some of the programs that we've done in the past where we've studied a particular body of text and we've tried to do a lot in a short time there's been quite a lot of talking this exploration weekend um, of course, there will be some talking to set things up, but then we'll do various learning exercises. And some of the sessions will involve activities that some people describe it as like, oh, I like those primary school learning games.
0: <laughs> 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 uh, so we'll
1: do some kind of active learning games that you know they're just, that just that that also invite us to experience the teachings in different ways and that draw on different intelligences. So I used to be a school teacher, used to teach in university. And so I I like to create situations. And to me, this is yogic learning. Yoga, we mentioned, is all the members of the gang of the being, all the parts. So I'm going to do my best to facilitate or invite learning scenarios, learning situations and exercises that stimulate different learning styles. So the active pragmatic, that's going to be very overt, but also be a theoretical framework and there'll be some space and time for reflection and we'll be working with different learning intelligences so there's definitely going to be kinesthetic physical sensory learning but there'll also be space for emotional learning and intellectual learning those things everything's invited to the party so and there's the idea and it's it's a celebrate like in the yogic vision of life one way we can think of life is a festival and when we're having a celebratory good time, when we're coming together, when we bring all the members, like, what does it mean to have a celebration? It means to get together and have festivity. So that's what yoga actually means. Bring all the parts together so they can exult and rejoice and experience the beautiful possibilities of mutual support. So when we gather in this type of context, we can explore and we can learn from each other's experiences and perspectives within a container that is helping us like, deepen our understanding of the reference or structure of the Yoga Sutra.
0: And beautifully brings us full circle because that's bringing everything together rather than some of the the divided thinking around yoga and studying yoga philosophy or no, yoga, y- yoga practice. Yoga always, it produces, always... It's bringing it together again. Your always seeks to unify,
1: and there's so many beautiful stories that reaffirm this. And maybe you'll tell one or two over the weekend. But if the practice is creating, or our approach is creating, more division, then it's probably not that we're probably maybe getting in our own way a little bit. And the practice is always seeking to harmonize, to integrate, to reconcile, to draw out the complementary potential of those things that seem that they might not actually be able to work together.
0: James will be here twenty second to the twenty fourth of March, twenty twenty four, for more unification, for more bringing it together, for more conversation, and for loads of questions.
1: Yeah, as well. there's definitely plenty of space for us to to explore together, to to inquire and learn from each other. Yeah.
0: James, thank you so much for taking the time to chat it's today. A pleasure, Julie, and I
1: look forward to as close always.
0: To you. As always learn loads it all makes sense when i sit and chat to you and then when i'm away i'm just like "What yeah what was that again repetition that's what it is
1: well that's the other thing with these these teachings is like they're not intended to be oh i I read the yoga sutra one time and now no no these (laughs) are companions for ongoing exploration and so the tech it's not like a text that you you know for example I, i i've just been in india and i i I, was, I, I bought a lot of books in india um and many of them are books that i only find the type of books i only see it was so interesting i, I went to a, the bookshop in india and it's like oh wow you know i went i went twice to a particular bookshop yeah. in Mysore, and both times i you know i filled a, a basket you know with several kilograms it, of books it feels
0: almost like a trolley dash or something yeah, it doesn't yeah. t- it's like there's more no there's more i need more oh there's more
1: but as well as the you know, some of the books that I would only find in India, there are some other books that, you know, other types of books are available. You know, I story books. And so there's a couple of books that I already, that I bought in India that I've already read, and I'm just going to give them away. That It was helpful. It was useful for me to read it, but it served its purpose. But then there are other books that I know I'm, I'm going to want to refer to this again and again and again. And the Yoga Sutra is that type of book. It's a practice manual. So, when we're going through changes and difficulties we can refer to the manual we can look into it again and we'll deepen our understanding and it's part of the magic of the text that every time we look into it, it gives us helpful fresh insight so i'm very much looking forward to i mean we've said many times over the years the eight limbs you can never explore them too many times because every time we do they do give us more practical support
0: Yeah, they mean something different, don't they? Because our experience is different, where we're at is different. James, thank you so much. We're going to stop talking now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you enjoyed our chat. If you've got any questions, you can email me or find us on social media. I'll see you here next time.